Hi, and welcome to Greedo Shop First. I'm Benjamin Light. And I am Marco Sparks. And this is episode 11, the Star Wars podcast. I've uh, been described as for people who don't like Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. But so do like Star Wars. But do you like Star Wars, yes. Uh, so we finally have something to talk about. <laughs> We've had things to talk about. <laughs> But we'd have something concrete. This is what it's all been building to. Something real. Yeah. Uh, J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a surprising choice, considering just the variety of things that we've read about speculation and quotes. And I mean, it's not like we haven't been talking about J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. you know. Well... <laughs> You know, he was like, I feel like there were a few directors who I wasn't really considering, and that would be Spielberg, just because I didn't think he'd want to do it, you know, yeah. uh, JJ Abrams, because he's doing Star Trek, and well, Joss he's, Whedon. He said he doesn't, that he's not going to do but it. But even yeah. before that, like, I just didn't think he would do it, because you know, it's like, you know, you can only do one. Um, and Fair then, not. and then Joss Whedon, because, you know, he's, he's tied up with the Avengers and he wouldn't be able to do yeah. it. Um, yeah. But from everything I've read, it sounds like Abrams was pretty much the first choice. Yeah. Or, and they just had to like kind of like recruit. Or Affleck? I mean, come on. That can't be serious, no. right? Well, this is what I think probably happened, is they, they did the thing where they went to Spielberg, just said it as a, uh, you know, professional courtesy. Right. And he was like, no, you need to get J.J. Abrams. And so they yeah. went to him, and Abrams is like kind of, like he wasn't, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to commit. And so then they like, they kind of probably had stuff going with like Matthew Vaughn and Affleck. But the whole time they really just wanted J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Supposedly he was won over by Arndt's, uh, outline. Excellent. Which is kind of interesting that it's like the reverse of how Abrams usually works, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Cause I mean, even though I think he, he roped Burke and, uh, Bad Robot into this, like I think you're going to see Bad Robots, you know, card. Yeah. They're co-producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's it. I don't know. I mean, it seems like usually they they generate a lot of their ideas in house or with people that they've worked with before, and they just kind of umbrella them in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was reading some of the other things too. Uh, obviously, you know, like one of the many terrible choices that were thrown out there was Del Toro. Yeah. Uh, I just happened to read a detail tonight that when Del Toro apparently was asked, and he said he couldn't do it because of his commitments. He apparently put forth, you should be getting Brad Bird, mm-hmm. which is a positive note for him, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, so, so we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, Abrams Star Trek reboot that he did. But, uh, I was going to say, I was thinking about, you know, Brad Bird during this past few months. And I was thinking about, you know, when Mission Impossible 3 came out, I really enjoyed the movie. And then when like uh, Ghost Protocol came out, I forgot all about Mission Impossible Three because mm-hmm. Ghost Protocol is so much better. Yeah, but we watched we rewatched Star Trek uh, just to, to kind of talk about this, and well, we'll get into that. But I'm I feel a lot more positive, you know, to say that about Abrams for this. Mm-hmm. Well, in in a lot of ways, I guess you could say he's a safe choice in yeah. that. Um, he knows how to adapt to a style. Yeah. So, like, like the the worry with people like Zack Snyder, for instance, 
or Del Toro was that like they they have their way of doing things. You know, yeah. or like like it'd be hard to imagine Zack Snyder not wanting to put a bunch of like slow mo into a movie, you know. Exactly. Um, whereas J.J. Abrams really does tend to adapt to the his style to the material he's working with. I mean, just go watch Super Eight and Star Trek, and you can see what you know. He's when he's making Super Eight, he's making like a like a eighty Spielberg movie, and when he's making yeah. Star Trek, he's he's making a Star Trek movie. You know. Well, I will say that it's. It's much different than a Star Trek movie, but that's not a bad thing at all. Like, I think, I think if he could do what he does for the Star Trek stuff for Star Wars, that will give Star Wars a nice solid footing for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you don't want him to come and just make like, like another George Lucas light, you know, thing. You want him to emulate that style to, to, to give you what you're looking for, but also give you like a, an avenue to expand, to, to keep going yeah. and do something new. You want it to feel like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, exactly. But you want it to be innovative. You want it not to be fully stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the same thing for Super 8. I mean, there were little flourishes there that were clearly Abrams and not just Spielberg. But, I mean, Super 8 definitely was a love letter to Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, also, uh, I guess it's officially confirmed that Lawrence Kasdan and that Kinberg guy are like involved. I think yeah. that was in the announcement as well. So that's official now. Yeah. And wasn't it kind of like nebulous though as to what exactly they are doing? Just that they are doing something in the Star Wars universe? Yeah, it wasn't like they were writing scripts necessarily. It was like they were like consulting or producing or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, Abrams, I mean, he's, he's a safe choice for every avenue. I mean, he's competent. He's got his, like, nerd cred, I think. I'm sure there's a lot of nerds out there who are, who are outraged, but. Oh, I man. Think personally, he's got, he's go, got. Go look at the Forcenet forums. You'd think they just, like, nominated, like, Hitler to direct the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> really? It's, it's nothing but just, like, her, their lens flare, you know, like, over and over again. Oh god, I just look forward to hearing that joke nonstop for eight months. Yeah. It's already tired. Come on, internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um I don't know. Didn't you kinda of love the lens flares though in Star Trek? I wouldn't say I love them, but I mean that was just a visual style. Like it's not like he does yeah. that in every everything he directs, you no, know. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's I don't know, it's it's depressing how the internet can get so reductive, you know. It's just mm-hmm. you can't remember like all, all people see JJ Abrams and they think lens flare and they think like mystery box, like, you know, bullshit no payoff, you know. Like well, like he gets a lot of like lost hate for some reason, even though he directed the pilot in like one other episode and that had nothing else to do with the show. Case in point of of the ways that the internet turns on itself and the in a retarded cannibalistic fashion, the name of our podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's where we're coming from, I guess, is, is noticing that, dealing with that, living in that fucking world. I guess some people are like really upset with like what he did with the Star Trek movies, like destroying Vulcan and whatnot. Like, I don't know. It's the, the hardcore Trekkies, man, watch out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are. I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hard 
hardcore old school Star Trek fan. I guess not old school. When I say old school, I think people mistake that to mean that I liked like the Kirk, Spock, Scott. Mm-hmm. I feel like Star Trek fandom really ended ten years ago, though. Well, you the know? last was it uh, Enterprise? No, uh, I can't even think of the name of that awful movie. The one with Tom Hardy. Um, oh, uh, uh, Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah, that movie was so awful. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Star Trek was just dead. Like Voyager was never really good. Enterprise looked completely boring and forgettable. Um, and then people are like, "Oh, J.J. Abrams, he took this this uh, you know franchise that's supposed to be about exploration and made it an action movie." It's like, yeah, because all those other Star Trek movies were about exploration, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, he's doing something in those movies that he you couldn't do in the previous ones because the actors were all in their late sixties. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to have Shatner like running over things and jumping and getting fistfights, like like. Bloody well, to, me, fights, but. to me, one of the interesting things about his Star Trek movie is that he's saddled with so much work to kind of like very delicately reboot, you know, while like mm-hmm. like they have to go out of their way to say like that the old continuity is still there in an alternate timeline, you know, like I don't think now obviously with Star Wars, they depending on what time it's set in, they may need to, you know address Luke or Han or Leia somewhat, but there's not going to be nearly the baggage, I don't think. No. Like, they're really no. just going to be able to be like, boom, new Star Wars movie, and, like, not get bogged down and, like, making sure they give every character a proper introduction and kind of holding the Trekkie audience's hand to, like, let them know it's going to be okay that they're making this, you know, th- there's a new Kirk and a new Spock. I, to me, though, that was almost like... I don't know. It was genius the way they handled that because for all the people, well, who you get did upset, it really well. Yeah, yeah. But all the people who get upset, you had, you had, you know. Okay, here's your escape hatch. You know, mm-hmm. your your stuff doesn't doesn't die. You have to deal with the fact that Enterprise is the only like canon from the old Star Trek world. But at the same time, what a great idea to handle that that only you could only do once in mm-hmm. one property ever. And I'm sure somebody just had like a crazy idea in the middle of the night and came to them and like, what about this? And they were just like. That's golden. I mean, let's do that. Like, I think I read somewhere where Abrams was not like a Star Trek fan growing up. And, yeah, he said I mean, in he, many in many interviews that he's yeah, a Star he, Wars he fan, a not a Star Trek fan. Pretty good job of paying more than lip service to the continuity and everything about that universe uh, for something he wasn't even a fan of. So imagine what he'll do with like Star Wars, mm-hmm. something he actually is a huge fan of. Well, I mean, most of his making Star Trek was trying to make it look more like a Star Wars movie. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I just think without all the baggage, like uh, there are parts, that, you know, because I just watched the movie last night, there are parts where you can see that they're just having to work through stuff uh, that they wouldn't need to if uh, they were just jumping off fresh, which is why like Into Darkness should be interesting. It's like there's no more baggage now. Now he can like do what yeah. he wants. Yeah. Well, and, and the Star Trek reboot had a lot of flaws. I mean, it's, it's when you're in the theater. That's a fun movie. That's a fun movie going mm-hmm. experience. It's solid. It's just, it's exciting. Um, it has a lot of flaws. It has story three stuff, problems. Yeah. But you can kind of, you can kind of hand wave a lot of it away. I mean, one of the issues I think is that the, uh, majority of the villain's motivation and stuff is, is very well fleshed out in a comic book prequel. <laughs> I mean, you, you get all that stuff where you get like the next generation crew and, and old Spock, like dealing with like young Nero and, and really. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you get all that stuff where Romulus gets destroyed and, and well, Spock let, let's fails. Let's ignore to save that. It. Let's let's ignore that and focus on the movie. In the movie, 
I thought as a villain he was just not interesting. Yeah, because he's barely there. I mean, like he, you get a lot of that, like the him and Spock's uh, uh, backstory about how this all went down, kind of just barely trodden you, over two thirds of the movie. Are you talking about the comic again? No, I'm talking about okay. when Spock mind melts of Kirk. Yeah, you you get a brief overview. Of, you know, Romulus was destroyed and he's mad at Spock. Um, but, but that felt like they were just like they just wanted to get it out of the way. You know, they just wanted to get some kind of motivation out of the way. To me, I mean, I mean I've never read the the comic book prequel, which I yeah. mentioned a moment ago. I've just read of it, but as the movie on its own, I thought, I don't know, like why even bother? It's well, his um, the ship was boring. Like uh, the the visual design of the ship didn't seem to make any sense. Like the fight they have at the end, there's all these weird platforms. Like it didn't. Yeah. Like that's something I don't. I don't think you'd need to worry about with a Star Wars movie because Lucasfilm will be handling a lot of that, you know. Well, because the Death Star never had weird platforms hanging over absolutely nothing. No, that that's a that's a false analogy. Um the Death <laughs> it's Star very clean design. The Death Star makes a hell of a lot more sense than yeah, whatever yeah. that weird monstrosity that uh, the mining ship was in Star Trek. I thought the It was just like visually ship. incoherent. I thought the exterior of the ship was interesting, though unnecessary, and the interior of the ship, you're right, was just dark and boring. Well, it's incoherent. Like, there's just no sense of place at all. It's completely yeah. random. Every time you saw it, it was different. <laughs> um, but since we are full on talking about the movie now, I would say that I, I feel like you can make the argument that the first 10 minutes of the Star Trek movie uh, really paints everything that J.J. Abrams does well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's he manages to like uh, marry like epic and cheesy into the same you know heart hearts like heart tugging moments. Focusing like, on the characters, yeah. The, just the the fact that like uh, Kirk is born like while on a phone call between the wife and the and the husband as the ship's being destroyed. It's just, mm-hmm. and then I don't know. My, one of my questions though for you is: Do you see Michael Giacchino like doing the score for Episode Seven? That's certainly a possibility. I don't, I mean, it's always poss- possible that John Williams will want to come back and do it, but he's pretty old now. He probably doesn't yeah. want to. Um, yeah. in, in, in that situation, as far as like, if you're looking for like who like the, like the hot like composers are in Hollywood right now, G. Kona's mm-hmm. probably at the top of that list anyway. So, yeah. I mean, it seems like it'd be a pretty slam dunk. It's maybe they go with somebody else, but uh, I don't think anyone would complain if they went with him. There's certain aspects of his, um, and score that I thought could could show me that he could do like uh, like a Star Wars type thing. Like I feel like he would do really great with like a uh, like a whatever like the next like like throne room esque thing could be. Mm-hmm. I remember and there's other moments where I'm not so sure. I mean, but you feel like he's gonna be he's gonna be emulating a lot of just bringing over a lot of William's score, anyways. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Ah. Yeah. <sighs> But yeah, the the visual style. I mean, aside from you know lens flares, uh, God forbid somebody shoot a sci-fi movie with a different look than all the other ones. But um, <laughs> there's some shots in it that just are just like so. It it's like it's reminiscent of a TV show that was never that good. You know, like the shot of uh, Spock landing on Vulcan, like transporting, like crouched over. Yeah, like crouched, crouched over, over appearing. Like it's it's so like pure Star Trek. 
And it makes you yeah. think of classic Star Trek, even though classic Star Trek never really had a shot like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it did because also it had that great, like, uh, outskirts of LA, like, uh, landscape mm-hmm. behind of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like they had a lot of just little, the little unnecessary things um, in the plot that really reminded me of, of some of the great stuff in Star Wars. Like, um, obviously you had like J.J. Abrams, like monsters when uh, Kirk lands on the, or gets mm-hmm. exiled to the planet of ice and what have you. But then there's a point where him and Scotty beam back to the Enterprise and like they had that, that quick little moment where like Scotty's like trapped in the water tube thing. Mm-hmm. Which just felt like one of those like little diversions you would get in Star Wars, you know. It kind of made me think of of like Droid Factory from Attack of the Clones and and little things like that. I mean, I guess a moment ago I was you know I enjoyed Mission Impossible three until I saw like the Ghost Protocol, but I think that this is a much better put together production than what his his directorial debut in Mission Impossible three. I think I think Abrams has gone a lot better. I'll put it that way as a filmmaker. Yeah. I know I haven't I haven't watched uh, Mission Impossible three in a long time, so I'll have to rewatch it. Um, he's also responsible, JJ Abrams, for the best pilot ever made, uh, the Lost mm-hmm. Pilot. Um, yeah. You know, go watch that if you want to see what kind of work he can do. Yeah, but at the same time, that is that's TV, which is slightly different. But yeah, I mean, he's always been a fairly good writer. I mean. There were elements of his his much talked about on the internet, like Superman script, that sounded ridiculous, but a lot of them did sound interesting to me as well. What was like the detail that everyone hated about that? At uh, the end, well, so throughout the film, you have uh, there's a whole casting talk about potentially like Johnny Depp is Lex Luthor. So Lex Luthor is a CIA agent, and so as I remember, at the end of the and you have like a, all these cutaways to Krypton, which still exists, and like mm-hmm. the Civil War happening on Krypton, and so at the very end. Um, Lex Luthor like finds Kal-El or Superman and he's just like I know you're an alien I know you're a Kryptonian and like Superman's like how do you know that and then like Lex Luthor just starts like floating in the air and he's like because I'm one too <laughs> <laughs> who, who uh, did the uh, Gordon has a beer and cheats on his wife wasn't that a famous writer as Aronofsky Aronofsky okay yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird time when you had all these like uh, names, like trying their hand, like dipping their toe in the water of superhero films, and people mm-hmm. were like, "What the fuck are these scripts?" Because <laughs> the Aronofsky year one Batman scripts just is so ridiculous. Like, like Bruce Wayne has like amnesia and like has to live with like a mechanic and his son. The like the son is played by like Marlon Wayans, or was going to be played by Marlon Wayans, and wow, yeah. <laughs> That sounds incredible. Together they build the Batmobile or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, rewatching the Star Trek movie, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it's like there's there's like every big budget action you know adventure film. There's little bits of the plot that were ridiculous, but you just kind of hand wave them away. You know, it's a suspension of disbelief. I thought it was good. I I see a lot, a lot of hope for what he could mm-hmm. do with Star Wars in this. Well, I think when you combine what he can do with a, like a really focused writer like Michael Arndt and mm-hmm. like the powers of Lucasfilm and and Bad Robot and Kathleen Kennedy all behind it, you know, mm-hmm. they they should have the resources to make a pretty good movie here. Yeah. And there should yeah. be like you don't get the sense that like anyone's necessarily wearing like the like the the chief hat, you know, like 
Right. There's a certain amount of like democracy here in the uh, creative process, which should limit anything like too terrible. You know, like like it, it would be hard to think of like a like a Jar Jar happening under these circumstances because somebody, you know, either like Kathleen Kennedy or like Lucasfilm or Abrams or Michael Arndt, like somebody is going to like protest. You know. Well, you also have a lot of people who were not involved in the previous, you know, ventures. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they've learned from the outside how those things are perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jar Jar, for example. Uh, one of the things I'm just reading tonight is that Abrams has, of course, you know, committed to the project, but he's not committed to the release date. Well, so the, the rumor is that that was a sticking point in signing him. I don't think anyone really knows for sure whether or not the contract included a committing to the release date or not. But that's the rumor, is that the the release date was like a sticking point in the negotiations. Hmm. hmm. So nobody knows at this point. For all hmm. we, as far as we know, it's still coming out 2015. It's certainly possible it could get delayed. It'll, like, I guess it'll depend on how fast they start shooting, you know. I, I get the sense that they're probably pretty far along in pre-production already. Right. And this is the thing too, when it comes to these kind of things, you really like even reputable sources, you, you still don't really know. I mean, cause mm-hmm. they're, they're not hearing it direct from anyone's mouth. You get like an actual interview. And then again, it's not like creative types don't do revisionist history. I mean, look at, we even look at some of Lucas's talk about the prequels and all these things. But, uh, mm-hmm. this bit from the Hollywood report is that, uh, so Arn's been writing the script since October, like actually writing the script since October. Kennedy didn't visit Abrams uh, to make her final, you know, pitch to sign him until January, mm-hmm. which I think is is interesting. I mean, so in a matter of weeks, they presumably closed this down. Well, and they've had an outline for a while, so yeah, yeah. yeah. they're they're probably already like people at Lucasfilm are already doing like concept art and you know designing yeah. various ships and aliens and whatnot, you know, just to be ready. Right. And every, every director works differently. But I mean, like, if you go back and look at some of those very interesting documentaries on the prequel DVDs, like, they have those moments where Lucas, like, walks into the art room mm-hmm. and they've just got the whole, like, gauntlet of different designs for him to, like, kind of choose from. And what he does is he's like, I, I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this. Give me something more in those arenas. And I would an imagine it process. wouldn't be that dissimilar now. I'm, I'm sure it's yeah. going to be, you know, I don't know if, J.J. Abrams will be making the ultimate call or not, but yeah, it's going to be a thing where they've probably already have, like, like they probably have an idea for, like, a villain or, like, an alien character, and they've probably already right. done a dozen designs, and, you know, then now they're going to, like, you know, bring the creative people in to pick which ones they like and kind of narrow it down. Right. But yeah, I'm going to assume just that Arndt's outline doesn't talk about... I would I would think that his 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 character designs or what have you would probably be more functionally like give you more information i I, i'm gonna guess there's probably not gonna just be like oh here's zibzub our new comedic relief alien character or whatever you Mm -hmm. know i i think that they they probably are going to try to avoid that as much as possible but it's still star wars it'll still have toy opportunities but But, i mean i'm sure there's something where the outline calls for say like an alien smuggler you know, and so then they, you know, they go to the Lucasfilm art department and say, all right, alien smuggler, go, you know, and they right. get like 50 designs for it. And then, you know, at some point the creative people come in and start saying, okay, 
let's uh, focus on like these dozen and like iterate, yeah. you know, the decision makers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the new rumor about Benedict Cumberbatch's role in Into Darkness is that he's playing Robert April. Who's that? Robert April is the first captain of the Enterprise. Uh, I still think he's con. Um, the reason why is because one of the toy things, um, the character that looks like mm. him is holding that big ass gun from the trailer. Mm-hmm. And the gun is called, uh, like April's blaster hmm. or something like that. Uh, how great would Bennett Cumberbatch be as a Sith Lord? That'd be interesting. You can't put him in everything though, you know? <laughs> He's already pretty busy the next few years. Yeah, he is. <laughs> huh. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I did you uh, see the did you see the stuff about Chloe Moretz and the Matthew Vaughn thing? Yeah, supposedly Matthew Vaughn had pitched her as a female lead. Which Hmm. there's a couple ways to take this. One that could be like pitching her as like the lead character, but it could also be pitching her in like the Natalie Portman role. You know, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a female lead. I would I think it'd be great if it was, but he could have just been saying. I would like to work with Chloe Moretz. She's she's got some heat. Let's put her in this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he could have been pitching his own story. But you don't put you don't put Chloe Moretz in a movie where she's not like one of the main characters at this point. I don't right, know. right, right, right. But I mean, you know what I mean? He, he any director who's going to take on this this project, I'm sure they're going to look at Arndt's outline and try to come up with some ways where they can get in the mix. You know, story wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. I mean uh, I don't know if you'll see like Abrams having any kind of story credit or anything, but I'm sure, you know, decisions will be made that will, you know, come from him about the story. I mean, every movie. Yeah. The director doesn't just Collaborate take his process. Except for like maybe like Richard Markhand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I actually, I actually think I believe I, I read that thing about Matthew Vaughn and Chloe Moretz as I was on Hulu watching the last episode of 30 Rock, which featured her. For the last time in 30 Rock. Oh, really? I have not watched any of this season. I guess I should do that at some point. Yeah. yeah. It's not It's not terrible. It's interesting. Yeah. I liked her character on 30 Rock. Yeah. Kaylee Hooper. Uh, the working title, the, the top secret title for the Star Trek reboot was Corporate Headquarters. Oh, really? Hmm. The fake working title, yeah. Um, yeah, so you were, you were mentioning that you had some, some acting or casting problems with the Star Trek reboot? Like what? Uh, did I say that? Oh, I thought you said something like that. I was, I was saying that there, there are of course some, some plot flaws and you were saying there were some acting flaws, I believe. I don't believe I said that. No, what I said was that, um, there's just a lot of baggage that they have to work through. Uh, you know, they, they have to hold the audience's hand to introduce the new cast. Because, you know, it's just like sacred Star Trek and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. They can't just dive right in. Right. Which I, I, mean, I thought it was very interesting and, and good that the cast does not play the roles exactly like their predecessors did. And I don't just mean like the way Shatner talks, though uh, Carl Urban did kind of do his best to capture the way DeForest Kelly talked. But he's like, probably the uh, best in the movie, I would say. 
Like he he just yeah. completely nails it. Not just as like a, a a mimicry thing, but like his character just I don't know feels the most entertaining. You know. Yeah, he's very entertaining. But like uh, Quinto really plays Spock as more emotional all throughout the movie, which mm-hmm. more more humanistic, which I thought was very interesting. I don't think you could have an actor do what Nimoy did, which was play the character completely emotionless. Um, Chris Pine, though, like I would say that I've seen several Chris Pine movies since then, and you were getting the total range of his abilities <laughs> in this Star Trek movie. Well, it would be interesting to see a Star Trek movie where his face isn't all like beat up through most of the movie, at least theoretically, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's very few shots of him in that movie where he doesn't have like just big bruise or some ugly, like yellow, like, yeah. Well, one of the things I thought was interesting is after the, the bar fight, like there, like you never see this in movies, but like he has the full on, like the, the dried blood all yeah. down the front of his face. Like you, you rarely see that in movies, you know, like, thought that was very interesting um i mean there's definitely like an energy to the movie which i think would be very interesting to see in a star wars movie you know yeah. um, it moves i mean there's very few like slowdown points and you got to figure like maybe they'll have like that scene where they introduce like luke or maybe han and leia but for the most part it's going to be new characters so they're not really going to be shackled too much yeah. Other, other than just making sure that they like the audience is with them, you know they don't they don't have to worry too much about pleasing, you know the the fans of the original, not like stomping on them, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, because again, they they do a good job of even the most like subtle references to the the Star the Star Trek universe in this film. I mean, they they reference Enterprise at uh, one Rachel, point. Rachel Nichols. <laughs> As the uh, Rachel Nich- green green chick, Rachel Nichols. Um, the uh, Uhura Spock romance was something that they wanted to do in the original series in the sixties, didn't they? No, they no they had Kirk and well, it was written as it be like Spock and Uhura kiss, had the first interracial kiss. And Shatner that liked that so much. No, it was Shatner. Oh, okay, but like that, if like there had been like a fourth season, presumably you would have seen like a Spock Uhura thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I was, I was glad that the closest you got to like the female lead was, you know, her or somebody in the original cast. I mean, it just, it worked. I mean, you got as much of the full crew as you're ever going to get in a Star Trek movie. Well, you really, you don't need any more. Like they already have like a lot of characters, you know? Yeah. But I mean, when you think of like next generation, like you think about the show, like, there's a certain mix of that cast, you know, that you can do, you can flesh it out, you can play with all their dynamics in a TV show. And then when you wouldn't watch next generation movies, like you got maybe one Jordy moment, you know, mm-hmm. you got like one Dr. Crusher moment, but yeah. cause they just couldn't do it. It was, they were, they were Patrick Stewart or movies. Troy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember, I remember Patrick Stewart got a little bit of shit when generations was coming out because he was talking about how him and uh, David Carson, the director, you know, if they had the choice between making a really great action movie and making a really good Star Trek movie, they were going to go for the action movie. Mm-hmm. And people were just like, how dare you? And he was just yeah. like, do you want to see a second one? <laughs> you know, I, I think that it, like as insane as Star Wars fans are, the Star Trek fans are definitely worse. Um, they're completely nuts. Um, it's weird because they're both insane. I feel like 
Star Trek fans, like when you when you talk about like people who obsess over details, like Star Trek fans have more to draw on. Well, they they get into like the science of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, like, so do Star Trek get, fans. I opened up a nah, Time magazine and there was yeah. a diagram of how a lightsaber works. But it's trust me, it's, it's not nearly the same thing. Um, there's there's massive amounts of just like bullshit hand wave science in in the Star Wars EU books. It's not taken that seriously. Like Star Trek fans, like they they they're much you know more hardcore about the way like science is talked about. You know, and like you know, the dilithium fans, crystals yes, and the, all that shit. The production crew never because. Mm-hmm. One of the things that apparently was always frustrating for the scientific advisors on Next Generation was that the scripts say, like, Picard's like, fire up the tech, 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 and then launch the tech thing, and then we'll do some tech. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they hand it to, like, their scientific advisors who are like, what can this be? And <laughs> they're just like, how the fuck should we know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the thing that, that always works about Star Wars is, other than the Force, it's fairly grounded. Like, I just don't, I don't. Well, you, I would. You know that there's hyperspace. You you, yeah. Yeah, I would laugh you out of the room if you pitched to me like a Star Wars time travel movie. Like it just that doesn't work. That doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I mean, it's it's like if you introduce like magic into Firefly, it's 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 that kind of level of grounded to me usually. I mean, there's there's some escapism. It's big. It's epic. It's a space opera. But you know, there are certain technological rules that you know of, and and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Star the Wars attitude is, is like there there's, in. Han's line in New Hope about hokey religions and all that shit. Yeah. Well, in Star Wars, you, you know that there's hyperspace, you know there's like normal sublight engines, and you know that they have like speeders that like levitate. Um, tractor beams. There's no droids. One, there's tractor beams and droids, but no one's ever really like saying like, oh, you can defeat the tractor beam by like, you know, uh, you know, shooting uh, like a phase array or, you know, like there's never anything like that, you know, or it's like, well, if you reverse yeah. the polarity of blah, 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 it doesn't happen, you know. That's actually two different science fiction things that you just referenced in the same moment. Good for you. Mm-hmm. I don't think you've realized it. No, I don't. Because I don't care. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's not a lot of that, like, technological bullshit, you know, like, because you have characters like Han Solo where it just wouldn't make any sense. I mean, for again, the line that apparently he had the outrage with Lucas about the waiting for the nav computer to spit out the coordinates mm-hmm. or whatever. He had this little outburst, like, it's pretty grounded. Well, Star Wars is the the universe where some, you turn something on and it like stops working, so you just hit it and it you know, turns yeah. back on yeah. again. Like that's they're coming from a much more mechanical place. I mean, like uh, in the Empire Strikes Back commentary, Carrie Fisher's talking about her little pep talk scene and Hoff to the to the pilots. She was talking about how she delivered that as best she could, not knowing a word of what they were talking, what she was talking about. But mm-hmm. I, th- I always thought that had to do more with the fact that she was probably high. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, extremely high. <laughs> but yeah, now now the fun begins where, you know, you have like the uh the casting rumors, the location rumors. There's already like a location rumor thing out there, like shooting at some quarry in Scotland or something like that. I don't know if you've seen that one. <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, it's, it's game on now, you know. Oh, and in on every type of of franchise that has larger roots into, especially other mediums, like you get that. I don't remember like Dark Knight Rises. One of the location things that they were doing in England, they had uh, marked off a piece of land with like a ring of fire because they were doing some night shooting or something. 
Mm-hmm. So people were just like, there's Lazarus pits. They're doing Lazarus pits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Lazarus pits. Yeah, supposedly there's some quarry in Kent, North Kent, which is in like England, I think, or something. Um, there's already like rumors that they're shooting there. And then I love this one, like, uh, like stoned out of his ass, like Kevin Smith on his like podcast or something. Talked about how like the original cast is coming back to uh, for episode seven, and people are like, "Oh, confirmed!" You know, by Kevin Smith. It's like, trust me, he doesn't know anything at all, like nothing. Wasn't there rumors of him having involvement with the Star Wars TV show? I sincerely doubt it. I I can't imagine anyone at Lucasfilm needing his opinion on anything. I mean, he really, yeah. like, he's burned all his bridges in Hollywood. Like, when he did yeah, that, Zach and, he did that Zach and Miriam make a porno movie where he, like, hooked up with, uh, what's his face, uh, unfunny Mr. Mr. Zeth Rogan and, like, became, like, that was, like, when he really became a pothead. And ever since then, like, he, he's just alienated everyone in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, the, uh, um, was it Red State where he held the auction for the rights and then he... And then he bought it himself, yeah. He bought it at the lowest possible bid from himself, mm-hmm. yeah. And people were, you know, really enjoying having their time wasted in that circus. Yeah. <sighs> Didn't he, and then now he's going back to make Clerks 3. I mean, Jesus Christ. That's just sad. Well, of course he is. Yeah. Of course he is. I mean, he's going to be this... I don't know. I feel like he's going to keep threatening his retirement, but... You're never really going to get it. At a certain point, like, won't you just not have any money to make money? But I will also say that having seen the first word then, because the the edit could still change, the first nine minutes of Into Darkness, um, I'm also very excited about what Abrams will do. Because that's, once you get past the stuff with like Noel Clark and, and, um, and, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch on Earth and you get to the alien planet. I mean, that's a pretty breathtaking action sequence right there. Well, it's going to be a very interesting movie to watch now because you're just going to be thinking yeah. about Star Wars the whole time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I want to go watch Super 8 again. Um, we were talking, like, if uh, if Chloe Moretz was up for a role, like, if, if such a role exists where they would need somebody like Chloe Moretz, uh, the another possibility there could be Elle Fanning, who was in Super mm-hmm. 8. Um, mm-hmm. Those are both both pretty good actresses, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm intrigued, you know, because that you, that would seem to be seemingly be a role for a girl who's somewhere between 16 to 19, probably, you know. Yeah, yeah. I would say that, well, based on the limited experience of these young emerging actresses, you have Elle Fanning probably has a little bit more range, which is not necessarily something required for a Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. But, um, Toy Moretz is, I feel like she's building a good portfolio as like, uh, like a young badass. Yeah. Yeah. Like kind of a mean girl. Yeah. Good for her. Uh, but I'm, I don't know. I'm very pleased. This is not Favreau. Thank God. I think since this podcast started, we've been <laughs> just dreading the Favreau announcement. Dreading Favreau. Dreading Joe Johnson. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like the thing you can say about Abrams is that while he may be somewhat safe, his movies still have personality to them, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. 
Like, whereas I've, I've always felt like, uh, like Joe Johnson's made just very, like, sterile, like, movies that just didn't, like, the lifeless, you know, it's like the best word yeah. I can think. Uh, and Favreau as well, like, his, man, Cowboys and Aliens was so awful. I mean, you have, like, Daniel Craig, Olivia Wilde, and Harrison Ford. How do you screw that up? Yeah. Yeah. How do you have James Bond and Han Solo and Olivia Wilde? Who, who who should have a role by which you can associate her with. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's one of the most wasted uh, entities in Hollywood. Like, uh, yeah, you have all these people, these huge dynamic people. and She's definitely so, the best thing about so, that Tron movie. Which movie? Tron Legacy. Oh, yeah? I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a very good movie, but she... Some, I mean, she has like that like model face, and she's like a little bit of a chameleon enough to where like she just... She, visually, she's like a good actor on screen, which is why it was funny that they, he, you know, you get Olivia Wilde for your movie and you dress her up into these like dresses that are like buttoned up to the neck. You know, it's like, yeah. like absolutely drab and boring. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, she's got, she's got a certain mystique and mm-hmm. audiences like her. They want to see her in things. And unfortunately, she does a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Um, like that change up movie. Hmm. Hmm. Apparently, they had the CGI nipples or something like that. Yeah, CGI nipples for uh, what's his face, his wife. Yeah, fuck that guy. So <sighs> now that we have a director, we can talk casting. Like, who's who's your like John Favreau of casting uh, choices? God, I don't know. Um, like Seth Rogen. Uh, like Bradley Cooper. What if they're like Seth Rogen plays like a stoner Jedi? Like, would you just like beat your head against the wall until you had a concussion? Yeah, well, it was, it was, um, obviously this is a much different type of thing, but do you remember the first time you heard, do you remember how once upon a time you were excited for Scream 3 to come out? And then you would read details like, uh, like Jay and Silent Bob have a cameo in the movie. <laughs> Man, Scream 3 and is you were really like, bad. When you're like, what? How? You know, it's huh? on. Because I was bored, I was on our movies recently, and they were doing the the whole like what's an underrated movie thing, you know, where everyone just says like Fight Club and Moon. But um, a lot of people were like Arlington Road. Uh, I think it was like what's Oof. what's a movie with like a an ending where the bad guy wins or something. Like it's a lot of weird love out there for Arlington Road. It just reminded me of how terrible Aaron Kruger is and how he shouldn't yeah. be allowed in Hollywood at all. So there was it was Arlington Road. It was Scream Three. Wasn't it also um, Reindeer Games? Yeah, yeah he's a, he's a fob, friend of Ben. Affleck. Yeah, he, he is a yeah. fob. Yeah, so yeah, he probably would have gotten a rewrite on episode seven of Affleck. Yeah, oh my god, that would have been. What the fuck would you have given episode seven of Star Wars to the Fleck? Like I remember, like just laughing. At well, is the, that like a Justice League rumors? That he was going to get Justice League. That feels like a like a legacy interview, you know, it's like, is there some sort of requirement where they had to interview someone? And so they picked him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd rather see Matt Damon direct something. Oh, so this is interesting. You know what, uh, Aaron Kruger has, uh, done some writing on, what? uh, transformers, uh, the number two and three, like the second and third transformer movies. I haven't seen them, but that makes sense. Yeah. Makes kind of and, sense. and just a lot of shit, yeah. The Brothers Grimm, the Skeleton Key, Ring Two. Mm. <laughs> mm. 
the number one or the top post on his IMDb message board just says he must be stopped. <laughs> um, interesting. The um, one of the sound mix supervisors on Into Darkness is Matthew Wood. And yeah, Denver. yeah. Well, they in the official announcement they had kind of like a little like endorsements, I guess, from uh, Dennis Murin, Ben Burt, and Matthew Wood. I want to say Matthew Wood is basically like Ben Burt's understudy. I, 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 I think that. I think I remember reading that somewhere. Like cause I was reading something where somebody was like, "Oh, what, what if Ben Burt's too old or he wants to retire? Like, you know, who will carry on the torch?" And it was like, "Oh, it's Matthew Wood." You know? Yeah, I mean, he's only sixty-four. Eh, you know, that's retirement age. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, he's Can't already given the world so much. Can't fuck forever. Exactly. Exactly. I'll do other things in my life. Magic. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just think of the thing about Ben Burt. It's funny. It's just like my coworker today. R2D2 is her like text tone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good text tone. It is that's, a good text tone. It's very solid, you know? Yeah. Uh, she was just like, oh, look, I've got like a bird text tone. And I'm like, a bird. I'm sorry. You don't realize what that is? <laughs> wow. Really? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You don't, you don't know what that is. <laughs> I've often thought about getting like just like Darth Vader breathing as a text tone. Nah, it's not loud enough. Yeah, probably. The best text tones and ringtones are uh, things that sound electronic. You know. What about like the lightsaber igniting, all at the beginning of this podcast? I think that works because it's electronic sounding. Like, uh, the whole, like, song is ringtone thing to me doesn't work a lot of the time, um, unless it's, like, a fairly kind of electronic or, like, kind of stark-sounding song, you know? Mm. Uh, my primary text tone is a, uh, it's a, it's like a, like a two-second, three-second snippet from a song from that movie, Hannah, which is, uh, it sounds like wind chimes, like, electronicized wind chimes, mm. I like it. I used to just look around on my phone with like 30 second song clips as a text tone, and that's stupid. Yeah. Text tone should be simple. It should it, be it's just short a few short. seconds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Your ringtone is the thing that's long. Yeah. I wonder if they'll w- change the way blasters sound in the new Star Wars movies. Like, ever since episode one came out, like all the, the blasters back then, they, you know how they sounded, right? Um, like they're kind of a little more high pitched and pingy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and like every movie, including the last Star Trek movie, like all the sci- sci-fi movies since then, have like used those same type of sound effects. Yeah. 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 The uh, the the bit at the end of with uh, Kirk and Spock running through the Romulan ship. Mm-hmm. Um, not perfect, but no. but you could see. The genesis on something that would look visually interesting in a Star Wars movie, I think. Um, I mean, if, this, if he just turned in his first Star Trek movie as his like resume to do Star Wars, I think you've you've got some stuff there that would definitely, you know, appeal to mm-hmm. to Kathleen Kennedy if she'd seen nothing else he had done. Well, between I mean, that and Super Eight and his TV stuff, and I'm sure well, they've, I mean, they've probably are... seen a little of uh, Into Darkness, I imagine. You know, yeah, Spielberg's got his people. I mean, yeah, and he knows who's good for what. Well, I, I I don't know if this is true, but I was reading somewhere that originally Super 8 was just supposed to be a movie about kids making a movie. 
Um, and Spielberg was the one who like had the idea to put like the monster and all that in it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't know. I wonder. I mean, Abrams does seem to like monsters, <laughs> mystery box and monsters. I don't know. Yeah, I, but I think I think the mystery box thing. I think people like they want to crucify him for that TED talk. Yeah, a little bit. They want to keep bringing that up ad nauseum. No, internet people are dumb. Uh, lens flare, yeah. Is it going to be called Star Trek Lens Flare? Oh, here I made a logo. Look, it has lens flares in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean it's mildly so, funny. Like the first time somebody made that joke yeah. after the announcement. Uh, oh, and Razor had it. You know, Hans Han lens flared first. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Won't look good on a shirt, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like love the lens of Star Trek, but I thought the movie did look very interesting. I thought it had a nice design for for the most part, um, like the the Starfleet aspects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think even ship. even JJ has come out and said he probably overdid it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yes. Well, I, th- I think they probably just lost track of how many times they were flashing a light in the corner of the camera there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that was yeah. just like people off screen with like, but flashlights. But also, also, I want to bring this up from things that you've previously said on this podcast. Like, they did a lot of filming for the Star Trek movie in a Budweiser factory to give it that very mm-hmm. industrial look. Mm-hmm. Apparently, um, there are some Star Trek fans who are absolutely outraged by that. Tough titties that happened. Um, it's really bizarre <laughs> if you go read like the, the thread on the Forcenet about mm-hmm. JJ being confirmed. It's very emotional, you know. Some people are very, some people are very angry. Uh, like you know, like I'm not watching this movie angry. And it's like really, I mean, shut up. You're gonna be in line, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, shooting on location when you can. I think. Well, I think. Have you ever seen any of like the Game of Thrones behind the scenes stuff? I haven't. Really? Except for the, I watched uh, like a twenty-five minute thing before the first season that had a little bit about a little bit about the story and kind of some of the behind the scenes there, but not. That was more of like a a feature. It, it was like. it was it was primarily like an introduction to yeah. the characters, well, and stuff, but it had very little bit of that. Yeah, I gotta find it online. There's a good like effects real clip thing. It's like four or five minutes long where it shows you how they did a lot of the shots. Where, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw the one from season two where there was like a kind mm. of just a thing where they would show them filming in, um, in whatever poor European country where like they did both, uh, where Daenerys is and where they did King's mm-hmm. Landing. And then they would just kind of show where they interlaid like a castle keep and all, all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Winterfell stuff, but it's basically, it's all these, it's, they are outside in some, mm-hmm. you know, some like kind of English some place in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they've built, like, you know, 12 foot high sets of like arches and, and the facades of buildings and whatnot. And then they're just like, they just have green screen like behind the actors as they like ride through the arch or whatever. And then they show how like they just went in and added all this stuff behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, re- I remember the Heron Hall one was pretty interesting. Or like the one with uh, Tyrion in the Sky Cell. Like, it's basically yeah. just, like, a shot of, like, they built a sky cell, you know, and he was in it, but that was it. Like, everything else was green screen, and they just added in. But 
I do think that kind of effects work gives the actor more to work with. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not he just standing in the middle of this giant cavernous green screen area. You know, like you have built well, enough for them to play off of and kind of you know invest their their acting in rather than just pure green screen. They did they did a little bit of that on on episode one because they did a lot of location shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a lot of shooting palaces and stuff. And I remember reading a quote of one of the production people talking about how they had started to build basically like six foot tall sets for a lot of the sequences. Um, and, and then they raise them. were informed yeah. that Liam Neeson was, was cast and he's over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. So they had to increase some of the sets and they knew that the computer effects would take over everything else. Mm-hmm. I think it was on episode two where you started to see less practical sets. Well, some of that's the locations that they wanted to shoot at, but you know, like the, like the, uh, Camino scenes, like it wouldn't kill him to like, you know, build the platform type of thing, you know? Right. <laughs> like, right. I, I think you're going to see a little less of that and a little bit more of, uh, like we went and shot this on a location that looks cool and just hung a lot of green screen drapes around it to fill in what we needed to, you know? Right. Well, and because I'm also the last person who ever, who actually still watches commentaries occasionally, I've watched the commentary for Super 8 and for Star Trek previously. And, um, you can tell that that Abrams, he does everything with a certain sense of logic, either from the filmmaking aspect or from the story aspect. And I, um, that was one of the reasons I, I was when you were talking about Fincher, I was I I liked the idea of Fincher because Fincher, like, you get the impression that everything in his movie happens for a reason. He can mm-hmm. any detail you can pull out of his movie, he can explain to you from a character standpoint or from a filmmaking standpoint why it's like that. Like nothing is haphazard or accidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Especially the way he, you know, digitally storyboards his movies. Yeah, I wonder if they'll still do the animatics for episode seven. I suppose they will. Yeah, I I would bet. It'll be interesting to see, like, it's like Bad Robot and Lucasfilm are now kind of, they're joining forces and, like, will there be friction, you know? Right. Well, I mean, you're going from, like, Brian Burke doing special effects, like, on his laptop that just lucked into looking decent to... Mm -hmm. Like full effect, like the best effects house in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, come on, there's there's no one better than Lucasfilm, you know, and 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 those folks. Yeah, and their creative team and in, in Ireland, like guys like Dennis Murin. I mean, that guy like invented, you know, modern special effects, pretty much. Yeah, but I mean, like ILM and, and people like the guys like Skywalker Ranch, like they're guys and ladies of Skywalker Ranch. Like there's there's no one better than that. I'm sorry, I'm tired of people talking about Weta. I mean, come on. Fuck you. Weta's terrible. But they had that massive program. Do you remember all the hype about that? No. Do you remember Massive? There's this uh, program called Massive that was going to be like CGI armies, basically. And that could, it's like, you know, realistic CGI looking like sword battles between massive armies. They They made a big deal out of it when, like, the production first began. Um, go back and look at any of the any of the, uh, the big battle shots in any of the Lord of the Rings movies. They actually look really terrible. Um, I think Massive was a little bit of a fail. Yeah. I digress. Uh, I uh, I hope I don't see any shots like that in the next Star Wars movie because I think they're kind of boring. Um, I don't, don't want to see like the Braveheart scene or it's just a bunch of like Jedi and Sith running at each other. Like it just looks dumb to me. I don't know. Some people are really into that. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, I trust Abrams's uh, sense of logic when it comes to those things. Like, if if you get that, I'm sure he's going to have a reason that will possibly. You may not agree with it, but it'll be interesting. You'll you'll see why. I mean, that's what I that's what I'm getting at with him and his filmmaking choices. I get the impression that. Uh, even if I don't agree with some of the choices he does, like it's not, I don't know. I just, I feel like a lot of filmmakers just do these stupid things just as it's cool. He seems to have a strong focus on character, like uh, not yeah. a whole lot of like really wanky, uh, like effect shots that are purely there to like show off, you know? Well, again, that's why Lost is still the best mystery drama you know, genre show from the past. 20 years before because it's grounded in the characters absolutely mm-hmm. i mean that's what you get i think when you when you have a guy who made one of his first like well-known stabs of tv with like felicity felicity hey maybe carrie russell can be in it mm-hmm. that'd be interesting carrie russell's a jedi Eh, I don't know. I I'm like reluctant to like start thinking of like so and so as a Jedi because I'm just, hoping there just I'm hoping there won't be very many Jedi's in it. She's got the full on Felicity hair, <laughs> and something happens or something gets chopped off of a lightsaber. God, it's terrible. No, but I'm hoping there won't be too many Jedi in it. That's my hope. Maybe I'll be wrong, but yeah. who knows? I mean, I, I think that's the other thing too. Is you're gonna you're gonna see people get like frothing at the mouth and horny for like casting scoops and details, which you knew was coming. I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. about that before. Like you knew that was coming, and I think we've talked about possibly going back from what we can remember from those kind of things from the previous movies. But you also get like the story details that'll what if they out. What if they put like Sam Worthington in the movie? Wouldn't that be boring? That would be boring as shit. I just, I don't, I don't see Abrams casting anyone because they're hot. Like I don't, I don't think he cast. Uh, uh, and I mean, like name value and cash mm-hmm. and box yeah. office appeal, of course, obviously. Like I don't think that when he made the decision to cast Cumberbatch, like it was a, it was really it was out there that Cumberbatch probably because he liked Sherlock. Things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he probably because he thought this is a great actor who could really chew this role, and Benicio del Toro said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I mean, he's like cast like. Peter Weller, apparently a pretty prominent role in Into Darkness. I don't think he's doing that because of like Peter Weller's proven effect on the box office. Yeah. <laughs> or Alice e. I mean, again, Chris Pine, you know what I mean? Who had like a single movie credit prior to Star what, Trek. And what has he done? Aces. Uh, the one of uh, Piven and, and Ryan Reynolds. Um, they're like in Vegas. Oh, the Smoking Aces? Smoking Aces, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Fucking joke. He played one of like the Nazi brothers. Yeah. Joe Carnahan, Sacramento. I mean, like you know, like pretty much all of that cast from from Star Trek, like Quinto, and I mean, none of these people were like like huge names. They were all known, but mostly like in Mm -hmm. like comedies or like the indie field. Well, it's I find it funny that uh, Carl Carl Urban, he was Eomar in the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. He seems to be a pretty decent actor. Um, criminally yeah. underused in Lord of the Rings movies, like he had no character at all. He was totally boring as Eomar when yeah. he could have been a lot cooler, you know. Yeah, I mean, he there's a lot of flaws for that Dread movie, which I think you said you saw. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I just mean, impressed that he never took the helmet off. That was like a dedication yeah. to the the uh, the form, you know. 
Yeah. I would say that I don't think he had, oh, like, he, he took it as far as he could go with the helmet on, with, with the limitations of that character. And it wasn't bad. It just, you know, I don't know. It wasn't especially dynamic. It's to me, the real a, fight of that, the real uh, saving point of that movie is Olivia Thirlby. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't know why she doesn't do more work. But, um, yeah. I mean, Dread was very much like a watch it on DVD kind of movie, you know? Um, it, it's not, uh, trying to be more than it is, I guess you could say. No, no. No, it's not. But I wouldn't exactly call it underrated. No, no. I, I didn't think it was especially great at all, actually. I thought it was okay. Reddit fucking loves it. Like, they think it's the best movie ever. Dread it. Yeah. Um, Olivia Thoroughly as a Jedi. <laughs> I mean, isn't that isn't that going to be like the new phrase on the internet? Or shouldn't it be? So and so as a Jedi. Will they still have like Alliance military? You know, because uh-huh. that that's one thing I felt was kind of like weird and missing from the prequels is like the military aspect seemed just kind of it was like it was just like a bunch of clones. You know, um, you never really had like but war I- war councils or anything. Right. I, I don't think that, like, you can even... We don't know anything. You can't even talk about, like, uh, casting mm-hmm. in the form of speculation of what kind of role. Like, you're not... I don't think you're going to hear, like, Bradley Cooper as a smuggler. I think you're going to hear... Let's, let's not so hear... So-and-so as a Jedi. Let's not hear so-and-so Bradley as Cooper as anything. Yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. But, like, you know what I mean? You're going to hear him as a Jedi, you're going to hear him as a Sith. What if they made him the new Han Solo? Wouldn't that just be, like, just terrible? I would... Like tear a fixture off my wall and throw it across the room. Supposedly he wants to be a writer, if I remember correctly. What, like a like, movie? Didn't he? Didn't he like? Uh, uh, supposedly, like write some script version of like Paradise Lost. I'm not aware. Ryan Gosling is a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, girl. Sup, girl? You know how I do. Or do not. I I would like to see him, you know, I'd like to see Ryan Gosling in a movie where he doesn't do it like that. Go back to that bad, like, New York accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling's a Sith Lord. I mean, you can, well, you can literally plug in any celebrity. Anna Kendrick is a Sith Lord. Ooh, I like it. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, Lucasfilm is well known for their secrecy uh, as is jj abrams i mean just look at the whole deal with who yeah. cover batch plays seriously you know? well um, just look at like uh fucking cloverfield yeah and so like put those two together and the nerd outrage is going to be palpable at like the lack of information and like all the yeah. insane speculation it's you know it's gonna be a delicious internet feast is what it's well, gonna be the prequels never did that sort of like kind of like viral scavenger hunt type of thing like Lucasfilm never really played with that you know um but jj abrams does which is you know that whole like megan fox tweets a picture of r2 confirmed she's in the next star wars movie you know like that's going to be like through the roof now yeah it is well and and a lot of the if i remember correctly a lot of the stuff from cloverfield was some of the stuff was bad robot some of the stuff was just people Mm-hmm. Putting up stupid things on the internet and others mistaking that to be Cloverfield stuff. Like, um, what was, it wasn't Slusho, but there was some other. There was like the, who is John something, I don't know, who is John Gall? It was like some kind of thing about some guy 
<laughs> That'd be uh, a very interesting turn for the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, Darth there was whatever something. is going Galt. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember that Johnny Ryan cartoon? No. Hey, Ayn, we're gonna need you to cut scene forty-three in the script version of Fountainhead. She's like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> Um. Yeah, there was. There was. I remember there was something where I kept having people having read people talk about. It was like some kind of like little web series thing where people were like, "Oh, it's all these juicy details about Cloverfield," and it was like it had nothing to do with Cloverfield. All the stuff the about like, the underwater like sea, underwater sea monster, and all that. You know, and um, yeah. what was the they they just discovered what this was recently? What was the name? For the the underwater noise that they couldn't is like bleepo or something like that. Bloop, bloop, yeah. yeah, bloop. That's what it was. And they like discovered it was like not like whales fucking or something like that. Oh, did they? They actually found out what it was. They found out what it was. It wasn't that, but it was something something to do with marine life, I believe. Okay, because it was the whole idea was that apparently it was it was too long that the depth from which it was coming. There might have been like um, glaciers cracking, or I don't know. Like they figured out what it was, and it was boring. No, that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, I feel like you're going to see the most minor of slusho references in Star Wars, the new Star Wars. I, don't they kind of have to? Yeah, it's just because just because the Uhura orders one in Star Trek too. Slusho still sounds better than Jawa juice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jawa juice. That sounds gross. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want it. It could be a variety of things, and none of them sound tasty at it's, all. It's brown, but it's not fizzy. <laughs> Just which end of the jar did the juice come from? <laughs> you know what? It actually doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> well, that didn't hit the spot. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, I can't wait to hear that in the new Star Wars movie. I don't know. I'm like torn on that. Like part of me wants them not to do it. Just, I guess you just don't want them to like beat you over the head with it. You know? Well, I guess what I don't want is I don't want like, uh, Disney to put out a film every two to three years of Star Wars, either an episode or some kind of the, like a spinoff or some fucking character has to say it. So you're right about that. I think you or gotta... it's like uh, a character like says it and then puts on like a Boba Fett helmet and turns and looks directly at the camera, you know? Yeah, yeah. Huh? Huh? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Huh? Just turns the camera and winks. Yeah, I, I think you have to, you have to pick up some of the Star Wars conventions and just run with them, and then you have to build some new ones. Like mm-hmm. the you, you could have every character in the prequel. You could have a character in every one of the prequels. Say, I've got a bad feeling about this because it was a finite entity. Star mm-hmm. Wars is unlimited now. There's only so many like creative ways you can work that line in, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you could have like the scene where it's like R2 beeps and they're like they read the translator and it says I have a bad feeling about this or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like saying, Oh shit, man, this Sith Lord's got friends. I wonder if they will do the Sith. Like, it's weird, you know, based on just the original trilogy, the Sith did not seem to be that big of a deal. It was like, Vader was like the only Sith Lord, really. I mean, there's the Emperor, but they never really talked about that. You know, just based purely on the original movies. But now it's like, it's like Jedi and Sith are like all anyone wants to talk about when it comes to Star Wars, you know. 
Yeah, well, I mean, again, like, I just, I don't think when it comes to these potential casting, and you're going to see that, too. You're going to see the fan speculation. You're going to see, like, the... I mean, would you say that the Force on is probably the 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 largest hive of all of that terrible Star Wars group think on the internet? I mean, I don't know. I what don't other know. Star Wars I've, I've been looking. Are. I've been looking around. I can't seem to find any others. I mean, there are those sites like superhero hype and whatnot, and coming. Wait, so, anyways, you've got that, and then you've got just like the agents who are just putting their 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 clients' names out there. But like I said, you're not gonna. You're not. I don't know. I can't think of an actor off the top of my head. Like you're not gonna hear like. Channing Tatum as a smuggler? No. You're going to hear someone like, as a Jedi or as a Sith Lord. It's going to be like that Nicholas Holt guy. It's going to be like, you know, the new Luke or something like that. Theresa Palmer as a Sith Lord? Yes. Casey was a Jedi? What was your what was your thing the other day? Chloe Moretz and Lucy Hale? Yes. Yes. The, that, Lucy if, Hale that, seems... So if you, you listen watch to that show, don't you see how short she is? That's what's so wonderful about it. If you listen to my uh, my pitch last week, where you had the the Skywalker twins, the granddaughters, her twins, um, we originally said you know Casey and Teresa Palmer could play them, just somewhat jokingly, but I think you kind of get the idea of the character just based on that casting choice. But if you were going to go younger, um, Chloe Moretz and Lucy Hale would be an interesting mix. I feel like uh, they really. I don't know. We'll talk about uh, Lucy Hale's other work later because I, I I have a lot to talk about on that. We can we can discuss that in our wow. other podcast, Time Trial I Murder Mystery. Wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I might write plus, something. Plus, I'm gonna tell you right now, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna give you shit at all except for me mentioning here about you giving me shit for watching that show. I never gave you shit for watching that show. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And it was, I'm not saying it wasn't deserved. You can't see, but I'm waving my hand right now. I never gave you shit for watching that show. (laughs) Well done. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so J.J. Abrams, folks, learn to fucking love it. Deal with it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be be crazy? J.J. Abrams, it's like him on a a fucking red carpet wearing his glasses, his nerdy glasses, some fucking sunglasses just fall over his face, and a fucking lightsaber ignites across the screen. And a lens flare. And a lens flare. Yes. (laughs) Well, wouldn't it be crazy if, like, he backed out all of a sudden? And, like, just the whole production (sighs) was thrown into, like, weird chaos. Like, I I don't want that to happen, but I would be intrigued by it just because I feel like, uh, Sometimes, like, a lot of strife can result in a good movie. Uh, you know? Um, that's like a, a common criticism is that, like, the people. Not usually, are, I would say. It depends. The whole thing with Empire, where, like, they had to deal with all this adversity, you know? Um, yeah. common criticism of the prequels is that, like, everything was too easy. You know, like, when they're making Star Wars, like, Lucas is, like, basically just, like, getting, like, bullied on the set by all the, like, British crew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, again, again, like, that, those chapters in Skywalking were so exciting they were so mm-hmm. fun to read um that the british crew would just sit there and like openly make fun of him to his face and then finally like alec guinness would like he would just listen he would finish his tea he would wait to finish his tea mm-hmm. and then he would get up and he'd be like all right lads well maybe uh samuel jackson can like bully his way back into the cast and then just like just be like giving jj abrams like wedgies and shit the whole time you know just being a, super mean to him, yeah. Just he just whenever whenever Samuel Jackson's like upset and like he's about to exert his authority, he just reaches in his pocket and pulls out like the Nick Fury eye patch, and puts <laughs> it on. 
Do you think he just like shows up at uh, like Bad Robot tomorrow, and it's like, hey guys, I'd like to talk about my character, and they're like, uh, yeah. Samuel, uh, I'm not quite sure what you mean, and he's like, oh, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> the receptionist is just like, JJ, there's uh, a guy here to see you, and it's and his driver, and of course the driver would be you and McGregor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, he's, he's just going to end up in the next movie because everyone's too afraid to say no to him. Exactly. <laughs> I just picture J.J. Abrams calling George Lucas. <laughs> and he's just like, what did you do in this situation? And George Lucas I, is like, did you not watch the prequels? Yeah, I, I think you saw the prequels, right? <laughs> exactly what I did. Well, about Samuel Jackson, he has like some uh, some like sketches with different concept ideas for what yes, his character looks yes. like now. You know, it's like yeah, he it's, maybe it's wrote like a like a fanfic. You know, yeah, it's basically like Mace Windu wearing a Bane mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I love that they actually had that picture from a couple years ago of Abrams having dinner with Lucas that they could like, throw out there on the internet again. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, apparently that, they like have like some sort of relationship where they've, you know, met in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, um, again, learn a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited. I'm generally excited. It's, it's not, it's not I would say, I'm, and it's certainly not something I was expecting. I would say I'm getting more excited the more I think about it. And there's mm-hmm. just a lot of potential there. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I trust somebody like JJ Abrams a hell of a lot more than somebody like Favreau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I I feel like Star Wars universe, at least coming out of the gates here, is in good hands. All right. Well, until then, uh, may the force be with you. Always.